Welcome to the channel tribe. This episode is a part of IAMA series. In this episode, we are having James Bach talking on all things software testing. Hello, everybody. Thank you for inviting me to do this. I love answering questions. Some of these questions are pretty difficult. Others not so difficult. We'll see how I get through them. My intent is to answer or try to answer every single one of the 30 questions that I see on my screen here. All right, well, uh, let me start by saying a couple things uh, about myself. My name is James Bach. I am a consulting software tester. Uh, I uh, travel and I teach software testing. I teach my own testing methodology called Rapid Software Testing. I've written a couple of books. I wrote a book about testing and I wrote a book about self-education. And I, my consulting is uh, uh, largely on court cases where I am called as an expert witness to uh, sometimes test software uh, in court proceedings where the quality of the software is in dispute somehow. Um, and I... I'm mostly, uh, well, I get to travel and I get to, to teach in many different companies. So I see something of what these companies are doing. Uh, but I have a couple of disclaimers about that. First, that everything I say about testing is conditioned by my own culture. I'm an American and I approach the testing industry from an American perspective. And, um, as an American, I'm, I'm not always sure uh, what is uh, special about being an American. I can't necessarily see myself as you might see me. I just feel normal. But I, I have a, a sense that as an American that I am more assertive than other national cultures tend to be. I tend to think that uh, it's important to operate by principle and integrity no matter what my client wants to do. My client can't ever tell me to tell a lie or to do bad work. I'm just going to refuse to do it. I think that's uh, an attitude that um, a lot of independent Americans may have and we're encouraged to have by our culture that might not be so true for other cultures. So you should probably keep that in mind. In America, it's easy to start your own business. In America, you're encouraged to start your own business, but that's not true so much in other countries. So, so just keep that in mind. Another thing to keep in mind is that I'm not a very good industry observer because I'm caught up all in my own stuff. I uh, find it uh, quite annoying to constantly be arguing with uh, other uh, practitioners and, and other consultants about 
the dopey ways that they go about testing. So they don't share a lot of what they do with me. <laughs> I don't see a lot of it because I'm not on their projects. And uh, so I may not be a good person to answer questions that are uh, asking me about the state of the industry, but I will try to answer them based on what I have seen, what I am seeing when I uh, visit different countries. I just got back from a seven week trip to Europe where I visited five countries and uh, spoke to testers in those countries. So maybe I have something to say. All right, having said that, let's get to the questions. All right, I'm gonna start with this one. Shiva asks, how do we go about AI in software testing? Should testers learn Python and eventually machine learning? Uh, AI is a big topic. Lots of people are asking me about this. They didn't ask me about this last year. The, the uh, ideas are uh, coming through uh, just just this year. So it is, uh, it's a hot new topic. In fact, I've been asked a couple of other questions that are related to this, and I'm going to answer them all at the same time. Uh, Naveen asks, hi, sir. What is the latest exciting thing in software or testing that you want to share with us? And I would have to say that the latest exciting thing, although it's not exciting in a good way for me, um, but the latest exciting thing is, has to be the fact that so many people want to apply artificial intelligence to software testing or they need to test artificial intelligence systems. And Shirag asks, what would be your approach towards testing machine learning systems? So I'm asking a cluster of questions about this, and now I will deal with it. First, let me talk about testing an artificial intelligence system. And testing an artificial intelligence system, what, what I mean is testing a machine learning system. I mean, I'm talking about um, uh, neural networks. If you're going to test a system like that, the number one thing to keep in mind is that machine learning systems are trained on a set of training data. And so you've got to ask, how might that training data be biased? There is a tremendous danger that data used to train machine learning systems are biased that these data uh, have built into them uh, essentially mistakes and that those therefore could turn around and uh, be terrible biases that will cause injustice to be done whenever these systems are used. So uh, the first thing that I would uh, do is try to question where did the data come from and how might it be biased? For instance, there are uh, been systems that are designed to decide whether to give loans to uh, people that are systematically biased against black people. 
And we've got to be hypervigilant about that sort of thing. The second thing that I am, I would be concerned about is something called adversarial data or adversarial images. Now, these are uh, images or data that is uh, designed to fool the machine learning systems because machine learning doesn't work the same way that learning works for you or I. Machine learning is not like human learning. Uh, what machine learning does is it is basically an elaborate system for statistically associating input with output. And how those statistical associations work are poorly understood. Once the system learns how input is connected to output, it, it can't explain that to you or I. This is a big problem in the industry because the machine just decides based on essentially its intuition and it, it can't justify what it's doing. And a problem with this is that sometimes there are, not sometimes, but all the time, I think, there can be bizarre side effects, bizarre relationships between input and output, where a picture, which is, it looks like a bunch of junk and garbage to us, the machine will say, oh, that's a kitten. That's a dog. And it doesn't look anything like a dog to us. And uh, the images which look like garbage, but which are identified as a kitten or a dog, those are called adversarial images. So if you're going to test a machine learning system, you need to learn all about ways to create adversarial data. Here's another example. There's uh, a machine learning system used to identify hate speech that was created, I think, by Google or Facebook, one of the, one of the big guys. And researchers have uh, discovered that you can say anything you want as hate speech, and the system will not identify it as hate speech. As long as you erase all the spaces between the words and add the word love at the end of it. That's pretty ridiculous. Now, a human can read a sentence even if there are no spaces, and a human can tell that something is hate speech even if it has the word love at the end of it. But uh, researchers found that this was the, uh, it's, they called it the love attack. <laughs> it's the most effective way of doing hate speech and getting around the automatic detectors. So you've got to study the different ways that machine learning systems can be spoofed. There are, there's research about this. There are papers out there about this. If I were testing machine learning systems, I would become an expert in this. Now that's, that's testing machine learning systems. What about 
What about uh, using machine learning and testing? A lot of people are asking me about this. Uh, I don't have a problem with using any tool that I understand to do any particular job that I need done, but I don't see a lot of use for machine learning in software testing. And the way that people are suggesting, uh, which somehow seems to be that you provide to a tool a whole bunch of output that you certify as good from your system, and then, and then you just let that uh, system watch the software work and see a lot more output, and then it will uh, automatically identify if anything's wrong. I don't see that as uh, very useful or responsible. It seems to me that there are a lot of things that could get by such a system. Um, so the way that I would think about it is uh, machine learning systems are just like children. That's the way to think about it. Machine learning systems are children. So if you have an eight-year-old child and you are trying to get the eight-year-old child to test software, you can get some value out of that. The child can do some testing. The child will be able to spot some problems. But would you want to rely on the work of an eight-year-old child? Would you want to say that if the only person who looked at your software is an eight-year-old child, that that means that that software is good? The thing about children is not that they aren't smart. Children are very smart. It isn't even necessarily that they don't know a lot of things. Children may know a lot of things. Problem with children is that they're unreliable and that they have poor social skills. You can't expect a child to explain himself to you. And that's the same thing with machine learning. Machine learning has poor social skills and can't explain anything to you. So for me, it's a matter of trust. I might apply machine learning to test a certain thing, but I don't think I would trust it or I wouldn't trust it to do anything particularly difficult. So um, I'll leave you with one more thought. There's a application that Google created, which takes a picture of you, and then it shows you a painting from the history of great paintings that looks most like you. And I decided I wanted to test this. So I gave it, I gave the system, instead of a picture of a human, I gave it a picture of the Mona Lisa. And I thought, well, surely this application will choose the Mona Lisa as the painting which looks most like the Mona Lisa, but it didn't. It chose a painting of some other woman. <laughs> so I just thought, there you go. Uh, that's why we can't uh, trust these systems. Any human looking at a picture of the Mona Lisa would say, 
that the great painting that this looks most like is the Mona Lisa, but not, not the Google app that did this. All right, let's move on. Now I have a series of questions here about tools. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take those all together. Let's see. With the growing popularity of open source tools, do you foresee the adoption and popularity of paid software tools to be dying? Okay, where should the future tester focus to master open source tools or paid tools? This is from Jesley Andrades. I don't know if I'm, I'm gonna butcher all your names, so just get used to it. Uh, I think that uh, I don't use uh, many paid tools. I try to avoid using paid tools. And I think that the vendors of paid tools have a real difficulty because there are so many great tools that you don't have to pay for. So if I think if I were a, a vendor right now, I would be worried unless the tool that I was asking people to pay for was very good, did something that nothing, no other tool does, uh, did it very well. And probably uh, the future for paid tool vendors is more in hosting environments, I would think, because environments are difficult to set up. So for instance, I use Amazon Web Services and I use free software on servers that I create through Amazon Web Services. But what I'm paying for is the time, the computer time. That, that's what I'm paying for. I'm not paying for the software. I'm paying for the hosting service. And I need the hosting service. That's a good service. I don't want to have all that equipment in my, in my house. So uh, I do think that uh, companies that uh, make you pay for tools uh, are under a lot of uh, pressure and uh, it, it, life is probably not very easy for them right now. I would say as far as a future focus that testers focus on uh, open source tools. Absolutely on free tools. And that's a nice thing uh, because, well, they're available. Now, let's see. Amar Singh asks, over the years, you have seen the way test case automation is done in India as well as the way it is done around the world. When you compare the best way test case automation can be done with the way most of us are doing, then do you feel we're on the right path or we should change the process of doing it? Well, I think the industry in general is on a terrible path of incredible waste. Uh, I'm amazed at how much waste there is in this industry when it comes to automation. People are doing automation not because it helps anybody, but just because they're asked to. And they're being asked to by people who don't know anything about testing. So I just think everybody's doing it badly, pretty much. Um, I'm speaking of companies. There are individual people who have done marvelous things with automation. 
Uh, I don't think about automation in terms of test case automation. I think of automation just in terms of uh, tools that I use that help me do my work. And that goes way beyond test cases. I don't, to tell you the truth, I don't work much with test cases. I do a little bit with test cases, but not a whole lot. Um, I work with test activities. I think test activities and test sessions are a better focus for our talking about testing rather than test cases. And if I hear someone saying, I want to automate my test cases, I'm, I'm rolling my eyes immediately because I suspect that that person is obsessed with automation that is intended to simulate the user. And that is an interesting form of automation, but it's only one kind of automation. And there's automation of different kinds. For instance, there's automation that's uh, used to analyze output or automation that's used to analyze um, log files. There's automation that's used to create data. That's my favorite kind of automation. I use automation to create test data all the time, and then I test interactively. So I think it's, um, it's done uh, poorly in the sense that a lot of energy is spent to try to automate things that aren't necessary to automate, and then you have to maintain all that stuff. Uh, having said that, let me move on to some similar questions. As we see in most of the organizations, the role of automation testers is limited to automate test cases for sanity regression for an application. Can you please explain what an automation tester can contribute in different stages of the SDLC? I don't recognize that there is such a thing as an automation tester. Uh, what I would recognize is that we are uh, either uh, testers or we're not testers. And uh, testers are not automation testers. But I would say that there is a difference between a tester who can write code and a tester who cannot write code. A tester who cannot write code is going to use tools just like a tester who can write code is going to use tools. We all use tools to do our work. And tools are automation. So I think what you're really talking about is uh, testers who are, write code. Now, uh, for those uh, testers who uh, write code and are obsessed with uh, sanity and uh, uh, and regression stuff, I uh, would suggest that you, I don't know, take a pill, go to rehab. Um, although, again, it's probably not your fault that you're obsessed with automation because probably uh, your management is telling you that this is very, very important to do. Uh, occasionally, it is important to do. It I can imagine situations where I would put a lot of work into doing uh, regression-oriented user simulation automation. 
See, when, when you say automation, I'll bet what you mean is user simulation automation. User simulation means that you write code which pretends to be a user using your product. So I call that user simulation. I call it user simulation instead of test automation for a couple of reasons. One is it's only one kind of automation that can be used in testing. So we need to give it a special name so we can show that there's other things that you can do for automation. The second reason is there is no such thing as test automation. You are not automating testing when you are doing user simulation. You're automating output checking. And testing is way more than output checking. So if we want to apply tools to more than just output checking, there's lots of ways that we can do that. I can write software, and I have written software, to take a specification and uh, break that specification out into pieces and then uh, help me identify all the pieces that I want to test. I've written tools to help me do that. I've written automation that takes a flowchart and finds all the ways through the flowchart that it can find and then suggests them to me as the tester and then I decide which of those flows I want to actually try. I've written software that takes a state model and calculates all the ways that I can visit each state so that I can sample from that and systematically test uh, double transitions and triple transitions in the state model as I test the flows through the state model. I've written software to analyze log files to tell me what I've been testing. There's lots of things you can do. Now, if you are the kind of person who knows how to write code, then that means that you have a better chance of being able to talk to the developer in a productive way about the details of the technology. So in answer to the question, what can you do at different stages of the SDLC, the software development lifecycle, well, near the beginning of this process, what you can do if you're a coding tester is to talk with development about testability so that they design the product in a way where we have better testability. And that brings me to the last question in this set. Well, no, it's not the last question in this set. Well, that's another question in the set from Amar which is, according to you, what are the skills, knowledge, technologies, and tools that must be required for someone to qualify as automation testers? I don't recognize automation testers, but I would say, uh, I would use the term technical tester. I would say that there are some testers that have the skills of the developer as well as the skills of the tester. And so, uh, to qualify, you need the skills of the developer. So that generally means that you know a programming language, that you know how to design software, that you know how to use the tool chain that uh, developers use, that you understand the process of development, and you understand the process of design. So the best way to do that probably is to be a developer. In other words, I think that 
it is a particularly powerful and useful thing for someone to be a developer first before becoming a tester. That was my particular path as well. I started as a developer and then I became a tester. I fell in love with testing and uh, decided to stick with testing after trying to be a developer for a few years and I didn't like it. I didn't like being a, a, a developer. It's not for me. But I enjoy the fact that I have development skills so that I can speak with developers uh, about those uh, kinds of things. Okay, let's go on to the next question. Well, you know what? I'm gonna add one more thing to my answer there, Amar, about what are the skills, knowledge, technologies, and tools. Uh, I'm going to add analysis. Now, this isn't just for people who are involved with automation. This is for uh, any tester. You need to understand how to do analysis. And that, I would say this is the one skill, it's sort of a collection of skills, but it's the, it's the one skill area that I'm worried most about with the testers that I come across is um, can they do analysis? Uh, analysis is the ability to approach a complex technological thing or sociological thing, some complex phenomenon, and figure out what it is, how it works, what its pieces are, and understand how to encounter it and how to, how to see it how to understand its status. Okay, that's analysis. We can analyze anything. You can analyze a pencil. You can analyze a vacuum cleaner. You can analyze a car. You can analyze software. You can analyze a software project. Analysis is a whole set of skills for doing that. And this is something that the education system in India uh, and certainly in the United States does not prepare people for. You have to learn it on your own or with the help of uh, mentors. <clears throat> you have to be excited about learning new things rapidly. So I have some thoughts on analysis. I'm, uh, I've developed with Michael Bolton an analysis tutorial and uh, I, analysis is a big part of what I try to teach in my testing classes. So I thought I'd mention that. Oh, Priyanka says, automation is the new hype these days. Testers who don't know how to automate test cases are not in so much demand, many say. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think that's true. I think that the industry is rather obsessed with uh, automation. That's true. And I think it's ridiculous. But there you go. Uh, what are my thoughts on this? Well, those are my thoughts. Will testing survive without automation in the near future? This is a real problem. I think the culture of of software testing is under a great deal of threat right now because of this obsession with automation. And that means that the flame of testing expertise and excellence is going to have to be kept alive by people like me. Uh, people like me are people who are independent. 
I have the luxury of being able to use my time any way that I want to use it because I'm an independent and I'm assertive and I do what I think is right. So I don't need to worry about what the, uh, what other people think. I can, I can do anything I feel is, is necessary. And I think that uh, what I need to practice uh, more of is uh, analysis and teaching people how to do analysis. That is what I think is, is more important than uh, automation. Uh, and I can, I can pursue that whether or not any of my clients agree with me. It doesn't matter what they think. Um, now, I'm not hired to do automation anymore. Uh, I sometimes do automation as part of my work but I'm not hired to do that. I'm hired to help win court cases or I'm hired to uh, help coach testers so, uh, or to train testers. And as part of my training of testers and coaching testers in a particular company, I may get involved with automation. We may be talking a lot about automation, but what I am doing is helping develop people's minds and their ability to understand complex things. That's what's, what's much more important than automation. Otherwise, you're just a button pusher. You're just push, pushing buttons to make automation work. You're a tool jockey and nothing more than that. But um, that doesn't lead to good testing. So I'm constantly explaining this to my, my clients. But I understand that... Um, in the if 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 you're not a an independent thinker uh, making his money on uh, on teaching as as I mostly do, then uh, you have to make your money actually doing testing. And if the whole world thinks that doing testing is writing Selenium scripts, then you're going to be doing a lot of writing Selenium scripts, and that means that. The culture of, of software testing, of skilled software testing, is under threat. But it's okay. It'll come around again because what people will find is, is that all that Selenium code didn't solve their problem. All that Selenium code didn't save them. Uh, what's going to save them is uh, serious people who know how to think. And... Uh, I'm going to keep that flame going. I'm going to keep that alive and my students will keep it alive after me. Just like I'm keeping the flame alive that was given to me by Jerry Weinberg, who has died. Uh, he was my teacher. And now I've taken up the, the, the challenge and then I'll pass this on to my students. And um, many of my students have already become um, my peers. Okay, I guess that's not a very happy answer to that question, uh, but there you go. I would suggest that if you want to do work as a tester in the industry, you ought to learn something about automation because it seems like uh, you're going to need that uh, in order to just even get the job. But knowing about automation doesn't mean you will be able to do a good job. That For that, you need to understand social skills and analysis. Uh, okay, here's the next one. 
Hi, sir. I want to understand how the framework Botium has been different than robot framework. Can we do chatbots testing with any other good framework? Any other good tools used to test AI, ML designed applications you could suggest? This is from uh, Sneha Kurjawal Saraf. Um, I have to say, I'm uh, what I'm really uninterested in this question. I'm going to try to answer it anyway. I looked up the Bodium, and it doesn't look very interesting to me at all. Uh, it looks to me like uh, a tool that I could write in five minutes in Perl. So I don't know what's so special about this. I don't think it's particularly useful to do that kind of testing where you are simply uh, giving a uh, uh, an input interface, some text, and then you are saying, does it reply to me with a certain text? If so, then it passes. That's, that's boring testing. And it's, it's the simplest form of output checking. Uh, I wouldn't test a system that way. Uh, what I would do is I would uh, probably interact with it a little bit uh, by, uh, for instance, typing. <laughs> That's probably what I would do. And then what I, the, for the rest of it, what I do is review the scripts, the underlying scripts that are uh, behind the bot. That's what I would do. Uh, that's much more efficient to review the scripts than it is to uh, interact with the, the, those scripts and try to, to get them to produce every possible output because there's very little risk that the bot software is going to somehow fail uh, if it already uh, works for some of the script. If it's going to give you the wrong answers, it will be because the script is wrong and you can just read the script. So I wouldn't use such a framework personally. Um, now, it's possible that there are circumstances in which I might use such a framework. Um, I would probably write my own, but if I didn't write my own and, and someone just gave that framework to me for free, if I were dealing with something that involved, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of responses, what I might find a way to do is uh, sample the uh, scripts of the bot uh, randomly by taking the, the scripts as a source, choosing a random section of it, and then trying to uh, navigate to that section using the, uh, the chatbot uh, interface. So I might want to randomize that. Uh, I certainly wouldn't write explicit scripts uh, to just do the same thing again and again and again. Anytime you do automation, try to find a way to randomize the order in which things are done, to randomize the data, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, all right. Let me go to the next thing. The next thing is from Naveen. Hi, James Boxer, as testers, how can we give still better products to the world? Are we doing enough 
or should we do more? What else should be done? Now, Ajay has guessed that my answer is going to be, see, I kind of like Ajay's answer, so I want to, I want to, uh, want to read this. Ajay says, I'm guessing his answer will be, uh, what do you mean by still better? We don't give products to the world. We are doing a service by helping product owners release based on informed decisions. As I don't know about what you do, I cannot say if it is enough or more. That, that is not a bad answer. That's a pretty good answer. But I'm going to take this in a different direction. I would say that uh, what we need to do is become better testers. What every tester ought to do is uh, decide, do I want to be a tester? And if the answer is yes, then develop yourself to be a good tester. And to be a good tester takes practice and it takes study. And it takes listening to people like me, giving you clues about the different things that you ought to be studying. Learn analysis. Uh, learn uh, uh, probability and combinatorics. Uh, learn the social skills that you need. Learn about heuristics. Learn about how human minds work. Learn about biases, for instance. Learn to write. There's lots of different skills that we need as testers that many testers don't have. And here's the, here's the, uh, a major skill that I wonder if you have. And if you don't have this skill, then I would say you need to work on this. It's very important. If you want my respect to work on this, this is the skill of discussing and deciding and explaining your test strategy. Whatever you're testing right now, can you tell me what your test strategy is? Can you be confident while telling me what your test strategy is? Can you sound competent? Can you sound like you know what you're doing? Everywhere I go, it seems that people don't know how to talk about test strategy. And I think that's a big problem because if you don't understand your test strategy, you aren't really choosing how to test. You are a robot. You're a human robot pushing buttons that you don't know why you're pushing. So I would say testers around the world, work on your test strategy. Learn how to talk about it. Learn how to think about it. Well, that's part of what I teach. All right. Now, Jessie is asking about Internet of Things. I've got two questions about that from Vanita and from Jessie. Um, with Internet of Things gaining popularity, how to cope up with automation testing <laughs> and security testing challenges around it. Vanita asks, what's the future of Internet of Things testing? I don't know much about Internet of Things testing from um, a position of any particular experience. I haven't tested um, in a Google Nest or um, anything like that. Uh, but 
generically speaking, Internet of Things testing is a form of embedded software testing. That is to say, a hybrid system involving hardware and software. And whenever you're testing an embedded system, then you're probably dealing a lot with state models. So if you are doing Internet of Things testing, you've got to learn about state models and how to do uh, state flow testing. That, that's one suggestion. Another suggestion is security, security, security. Security is the most important thing with Internet of Things. It's not performance, it's not anything else but security. This is the great problem that we have in our industry right now, which is can be traced back to bad design, of course, but definitely bad testing. It's uh, testers who are uh, not doing security testing or they're told not to do it and they just go along with it. Um, it is a terrible thing for not just for individual users, but for society that we have such insecure systems uh, these days, these, these uh, systems which are designed without security in mind. So, uh, I would say the future of Internet of Things testing is security testing has got to get a hundred times better. Uh, and also, uh, we have to work on testability of Internet of Things. Uh, we need uh, uh, better interfaces to test through. The anything that is created. We need to think, how are we going to test it? And that, those discussions need to happen early on. And you testers need to be in those discussions. But you can't be in those discussions if nobody thinks you have anything to contribute. So you better learn about testability. Okay, Reshma asks, hello, sir. Since we see new technologies, tools coming in the market, how should we as a tester learn and adapt and change the latest technology and tools, what should the approach be? Well, that's a pretty general question. Uh, certainly, whatever thing that you are testing right now, you should be an expert in that. Uh, in general, if you want to learn something fast and deeply, then it has to be relevant to you. It has to be something that you need to learn about right now. If I just tell you to learn about machine learning, and you're not working on a machine learning project, you're just not gonna learn anything much about it. You need to, de to devote yourself when it comes to learning. And that means you need to give it energy and priority. And that's not gonna happen if that's uh, something that takes you away from your work, your paying work, and your family. So find excuses in your job to apply new technologies to the testing of whatever it is that you're testing right now. For instance, I decided that I wanted to learn about state models. So I was testing something at the time and I decided I would do state-based testing. I didn't necessarily need to do state-based testing, but it wouldn't be a bad thing to do state-based testing. So I said, well, I have to learn about state-based testing, so I am going to do that now on the project that I am testing here and now. So I learned about UML extended state models, and I made myself a UML extended state model, and my client went along with that. 
So I'm constantly trying to work into my, my everyday work, learning about new things. I would say about once a week, every week, you should be targeting something to learn about that you can work into your project. Uh, and Naveen is asking, how do we learn any new testing technology tool concept program language rapidly and start working on it with confidence? Well, that's the same answer that I just gave, except I'll add one other thing. If you work with somebody, it's probably faster to learn it than if you are working only alone. At least I find that it's true that uh, when I want to learn something uh, that's a complicated technological thing, that I will, uh, I do it with uh, Michael Bolton or one of my other colleagues. Especially if we make it into a, a contest where we're all trying to, to learn about the same thing as fast as we can and then impress each other with, with our knowledge. Uh, also, uh, YouTube. Uh, that's a quick way uh, to learn things. Uh, go to YouTube. There's probably somebody on YouTube who has done a lecture about it, uh, and, and you can uh, learn it faster that way, especially if you're talking about mathematics. You want to learn mathematics quickly? Somebody on YouTube has already done a lecture on whatever the mathematics is that you were trying to learn. Uh, one more thing about learning a programming language. There's, I would say, no way to learn a programming language except by programming in that language. You have to have a project and you have to write something in that language that does something useful that you can't just read about a programming language and, and then learn about it that way. In fact, you can't do that with any language. You have to practice a language in order to learn a language. Okay. Over many years, you have seen testers and testing in India. When you compare the state of testing and the state of testers back then, like say 10 years back with the current state, do you see transition or difference? Do you really feel much has changed? Oh, I don't think the industry has changed very much except that now there's more obsession about uh, automation and DevOps uh, than there ever was before. That's certainly changed. Uh, other than that, the industry, I don't think it's fair to say has changed, but what's different about the Indian uh, landscape today that was not true 15 years ago is that there are a bunch of prominent Indian testing thinkers that whose names I know that I didn't know 15 years ago. And so there's Ajay, uh, for instance, Ajay uh, Balamuru Garas, if I've got that right. Um, I always mess up his last name. Uh, but uh, Ajay... Uh, uh, Pradeep Sandararajan, who, who runs Mulia. Uh, there's uh, Lalit uh, uh, Bakumar. Ba, ba 
uh, I think he's working in Germany right now, but he ran uh, tea time for testers for a long time. There's uh, Paramala Haraprasad, who's who does UX stuff now. So I can reel off uh, these names. There's Sandeep Garg, for that matter. I know his name because he came to my class and slayed. So uh, there's a there's a, a a bunch of good thinkers who are out there and uh, uh, writing things. Uh, Ajay just came out with a new book. So uh, I, there are role models that you can look to today that you really uh, didn't have before. And I find that wonderful. I would love to see more of an, a, an Indian cultural software testing movement that uses the history of Indian thought more prominently in software testing. For instance, there's a tradition of Indian logic that goes back uh, thousands of years. And I haven't heard anybody talk about that and use that to train testers, but I wish they would. And I can't do it with integrity because I'm not Indian. I don't have that heritage, but I know it exists. Uh, it's, uh, it's called the... Um, I believe it's called the the Nyaya school of uh, logic, um, but my memory may be uh, failing me at this time. I'm sure Ajay knows all about it, or if he doesn't, he should, and he should be doing lectures on it. Uh, and this goes to the next question. In one of your interviews, you had mentioned how inbuilt elements of Indian culture can help Indian testers. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, I, I don't really have anything to add to it. I did research back then when I did that, that um, uh, uh, lecture in uh, Bangalore. And I did research for that by uh, reading up on different uh, uh, philosophers in Indian uh, histories, different, different Indian philosophical traditions. And uh, done anything more on that since then I just what I could do is repeat my call to the thinkers in India use your history and develop a unique Indian way of thinking about testing and if you do that you will be uh, gaining the respect of the world in a way that will be unique to you and I look forward to the opportunity to see any talk about testing which mines the value in uh, Indian uh, philosophical history and applies that to testing today. I, I have not seen such a presentation. I would like to see such a presentation. So uh, this is something you guys can do that very few other countries can do. Uh, the Chinese could do it. They have an interesting philosophical history. The Indians can do it. Uh, my history traces back to uh, Germany. So I, have a, I come from a, a Western philosophical tradition, and I'm basing what I do on that.
Okay. What would be your advice to new testers so that they can scale on the growing technology of testing as well as development? Well, my advice to new testers is that you've got to make every project into a learning project. Every project you've got to be learning. And if your, your employer isn't allowing you to learn, you've got to move to a different employer. Don't work for people that don't let you learn new and important things. Uh, let's see. Shiralag asks, how can we test systems which depend heavily on map data? such as a routing system, which finds us the closest possible route based on traffic conditions. Well, uh, you're gonna need to understand graph theory. You're gonna need to be comfortable with, with that uh, and uh, in order to uh, test those things uh, properly. So look up graph theory for one thing. Uh, you're going to need to understand how those algorithms work. Uh, also, you're going to need to have an API because that's going to be a data-intensive form of testing. Anytime you have a data-intensive form of testing, then you need a way to feed the data in without having to type it in. That's something that really does call for, for uh, automation. So... Also, hey, learn about maps. <laughs> you, can, you can do that too. Um, uh, finally, uh, remember you, you've got parallel oracles that you can work with because we have multiple different mapping systems out there so uh, you can compare different routing algorithms against each other. What would be your approach to testing a scheduler-based system? Well, Shirag, you've got all the interesting questions today. Uh, Scheduler-based system. Well, obviously, I'm going to mock time. I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'm going to. Uh, have to make time move faster. I'm not going to test a scheduling system that has monthly events simply by waiting for the months to pass. So there's no way around uh, mocking time except. Uh, except uh, 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 one, which is to review uh, review the uh, the schedules, uh, having done some basic testing of the scheduling systems, and then you look at the source code, you look at the data, and you directly analyze the data the underlying data to make sure that it is correct. You might use a tool to do that. You might review it with your eye. Uh, but other than mocking time uh, and, and doing that review, um, I'm not sure what else there is that you can do. Now, of course, one of the things that can go wrong with the scheduling system is that the scheduling system works fine. It's just that the system is not in the proper state when the schedule clicks off when the particular event kicks off the system isn't in the right state and so the thing fails well that isn't really a problem with the scheduling system though that's a problem with the system being in the wrong state at the uh, particular time so you need to target that in your testing somehow I'm not sure I can say anything generally about how to do that 
because it's going to vary with the specifics of of uh, each case. But at least that's something. I think you're pretty much going to have to mock time, though. All right. Oh, I'm on to question 21. Let me pause here and look at the group chat because things have been happening in the group chat that I want to uh, get through. Uh, let's see. I am, looks like some people have just been giving me the same questions in the group chat. Uh, okay, but we have a new question coming from Srini. How is how is that likes of fakes? How is it that likes of that, that Facebook or Google are getting away with programmer centric testing? All driven from unit tests, no skilled testing as you allude. I see that tolerance for bugs has gone big. Throwing light on risks is not that big. Okay, well I'll tell you I'll tell you right now, Srini, that uh, if you have enough money and power, you can create bad software and still stay in business. Google has a business model which allows them to make money even while doing bad things and bad work. All you have to do is look at all of Google's canceled projects, so many projects that they did and then they just walked away from. They've wasted millions and millions of dollars on failed projects. So if they can just do a project and then shrug and cancel it, and they brought Google Plus out, they had lots of people working on Google Plus. And then they, then they just drop it. Uh, and they dropped it after it was revealed that it had horrible security problems, which someone should have caught and no one did because they didn't want anyone to catch them. They didn't care enough. Well, Google can stay in business. Google has paid millions, I think hundreds of millions. It might even be billions of dollars worth of fines for doing bad things, but they can still keep going because of their business model. Companies like eBay, where my brother works, can put out bad software because their business model is so strong that they can stay in business even without the best software. So in a world where we consumers are not demanding the best, companies don't need to do the best. But if you are not Facebook, if you are not one of the very, very few companies that uh, can do anything they want and no one ever stops them. Well, then software quality might actually matter to you. Most people don't work for Google or Facebook. So um, maybe for the rest of us, uh, software quality actually matters. But it is something that I sigh about a lot. Uh, the the world is doing its best to make people not care about security problems, to not care about quality problems. We're all supposed to shrug and go, oh, well, software is bad. But if you are socially responsible and ambitious, then you should want your software to work well. 
and it may need to work well if it is in a uh, critical situation. So what I do for my clients is I help them understand the risks by showing them news stories of companies that have had very embarrassing things happen to them. And I try to use that to help them get excited about uh, a risk. But ultimately, you know, there's nothing we can do. It's just like doctors. Doctors can say, hey, you have to eat better. You need to exercise. And then people just don't eat better and they don't exercise. And then they die young. And doctors shrug. I mean, you don't have to listen to a doctor when they tell you to to live better. Uh, They can't force you to listen to them. You can decide that health is not important to you or that other things are more important than health. There's nothing I can do about that. That doesn't change the fact that some people want to be healthy. And for those people who want to be healthy, doctors have something to say to them. And so for those people who want to do good software, I have something that I can say to them. And um, I wish more people would come to me, but enough come to me that I can stay in business. All right. What else am I getting here? I am getting from, ah, Srini apparently has made a list of the Indian philosophical schools. Uh, Nyaya. Ah, good. I did remember that right. Sankhya, Vimansa, backed up by the Upanishads and the Vedas. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought that it was the Nyaya school that I was thinking of, which is a, a ancient school of uh, epistemology. Uh, epistemology is the study of how you can know what you know. And the Nyaya school goes back to before the Greeks. So we're talking 600 BC. This is the earliest philosophical school that I know of. And it, it started in India. And you Indians should be proud of your heritage and you should learn about your heritage. And I hope that you study it, integrate it into testing, and then, and then bring it to the world and, and benefit the world thereby. And, you know, if I can do it, you can do it better. So I hope you do. Okay, let's, I'm going to move down to the next uh, question. Uh, Oh, I have one more in the Zoom group chat I'm going to deal with. Uh, Hi, James. I am Suzanne. You're currently into manual testing. I don't recognize the difference between manual testing and automation testing, people. It's all testing. I would like to go in deep to find bugs in the application. So kindly suggest to me the best practice or any sorts to switch into automation with no coding or minimal coding skills. Look, if you want to go in deep to find bugs in the application, then you need to understand analysis. That's the main thing you need to learn about. Analysis is all about learning about complicated things. So you need to practice that. Now, of course, you need to practice that in the context of learning about technologically complicated things. 
So you need to learn about technology. You don't necessarily need to know about coding uh, or to be able to do coding in order to learn about coding. And so um, you can learn to read code without having to write code. You can learn to talk to developers without having to learn to be a developer. But if you need to go really deep, then you probably do need to develop uh, coding skills yourself personally. And you may need to have those coding skills in order to write the tools that you need to get the information you need. However, an alternative is to have a friend or someone else on the project that you're working with who writes the code. I don't think everybody needs to write code. I sat with a tester the other day who had no coding skills at all. And I wrote for him a tool that analyzed a log file that he was working with. I left him with that tool. The next day he found a bug using that tool. And he's since said that he's been getting lots of benefits from, from using the tool that I wrote for him. And he is testing more deeply now into his application because he's now using these log files that he hadn't been using before. So to go deeper, talk to the developer, get the developer to explain how the application works. To go deeper, work with a greater variety of test data and uh, ask somebody, work with somebody to create tools that create test data for you or gather test data that is um, better test data than what you're using right now. It's a, a long process of learning. And the other thing you can learn about is the users. You can learn about the domain within which the users work, which maybe the developers don't know anything about. And then you can contribute that new knowledge to them. Suzanne is saying, but we follow business requirements in the organization. You follow business requirements? No, you don't. You don't follow business requirements. You use business requirements as one source of information when you are testing the product. And in order for you to test the product deeply, you, you don't look at business, re business requirements don't have information in them. That's, they have very little information in the business requirements that helps you test. What you've, what you've got to do is understand the system you are testing so that you can understand how those business requirements might be fulfilled or violated. Test design is not a process of reading business requirements and writing test cases. It's a process of understanding the system that you are testing and looking for risks in that system. That's what you're doing. And business requirements are just part of of doing that. I could give you a specific example if we had business requirements in front of us, uh, but let's just, let me give you a, a somewhat specific example. If a business requirement says that a monthly report will be generated showing the, uh, the usage, the, the telephone usage for a customer of a, a particular cell phone uh, company and the 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 minutes that were used have to be reported on that report. 
something. So that's what a business requirement would say, but that doesn't tell you anything about how those, where those minutes came from, what different kinds of usage minutes there could be, uh, how they are billed, what the, the mathematics is for correctly calculating the bill. You're going to have to figure all that out and you're going to have to kind of come up with scenarios where you think of different ways of uh, charging minutes and different kinds of, of calling plans that will cause them to be charged differently. So you're going to need to know about all the calling plans. And this is outside business requirements. This has to do with the system and how it works, how it's actually implemented. You're going to need to work with data. You're going to need to work with algorithms. You have to understand that. If you don't understand that, then you have to learn it by working with someone who does understand it. And then you'll become the expert. But to say that we follow business requirements is an outrageous oversimplification. Okay, let's, let's go with the next question on the spreadsheet. Okay, uh, Shubham Karun asks, with the start of an individual in testing career, he encounters lots and lots of theories of testing, various types of testing, along with the challenge of increasing his technical skills as well. What do you suggest should be a tester's focus in the beginning of his career for a long-term successful career in testing? I think your focus should be um, learning how to do analysis, which is what I've said before. That's what I suggest your focus should be. Um, become very good at analyzing things that are put in front of you, especially products. That takes practice. Also, here's another thing I'm going to tell you. Learn to take notes. So many testers do not know anything about how to take notes. You got to practice. Practice taking notes while you're testing. Shubham also asks, what do you think a tester should possess? Knowing multiple types of testing and working around all of them or mastering just one and sticking to it? Uh, well, I don't think that types of testing are uh, particularly interesting as a primary matter. You should be learning about the general skills of uh, writing, uh, analysis, uh, and uh, uh, social skills, uh, interviewing people, that kind of thing. And then we can stack types of testing on top of that. So in my classes, for instance, I don't teach combinatoric testing because I never get around to it because there's so many more important things to talk about before we talk about combinatoric testing. But eventually you're going to need to learn about combinatoric testing. That is to say, you need to learn about how to test something that involves combinations of variables that you are going to uh, combine in different ways in order to cover a multidimensional space. But that's not something that I would uh, deal with with a, with a new tester. With a new tester, I'm going to deal with how can you look at a screen and see what's on the screen? How can you get a new product with a spec and read the spec and understand it? How can you uh, ask useful questions about that? 
How can you spot a problem and communicate with uh, someone about a problem that you see so that you are listened to? Okay. Um, let's let's move on to the next thing. Would love to know about your journey, how you overcome the myths about testing in your early days, and how you too must have stayed in the dilemma of whether to continue testing or switching. Oh well, my my journey started because I got into development because I like computers and I learned how to program and then I got hired as a teenager uh, to do video game programming but then I I got sick of it I burned out I didn't want to do it anymore and so I was drifting and then Apple computer hired me in the late 80s and they gave me a job as a tester Oh, as a test manager, actually. I, I started as a test manager, which is a little weird. And so I learned all about testing. And I found that I, I loved testing because I love analyzing and complaining about things. I love finding problems. To me, it's a mystery story looking for problems. And I looked and noticed that the stuff that had been written about testing wasn't very helpful. So I decided that I would become a testing expert and I would write better stuff and I would teach better stuff and I would help people to do this testing thing well. So in my career, I was rewarded by being a tester. I was applauded. I was asked to do more and more. As I went out to speak, people liked what I had to say, and they found it uh, helpful to them. So they kept encouraging me to do more. And uh, basically, anybody who is doing something difficult and does it well and is rewarded and applauded for doing that is going to stay in it. So I stayed in it. And it's sometimes very frustrating because I would like the world to take testing more seriously. And I would like more good people to be testers. A lot of the good people just go right into development and never look back. I think in the future, we're going to see fewer testers in the world, but those testers are going to be better. And the way they're going to be better is there will be the people who become testers will I predict increasingly be people who started out as something else and then became testers. So I think we'll see a lot more developers who are experienced developers decide to specialize in testing. And then they will be extremely sophisticated technical people who are doing testing. We used to see a lot of, young people start out as testers, then the question was how to keep them in testing. But I, I suspect the world is going to go away from that and, and we'll have uh, more older people being testers. And then we'll have fewer of them, though, many fewer of them, so that we'll see. And I'm already seeing this in a lot of companies where they have you know, 30 developers for every one tester. 
but that tester has to be a testing coach and has to get the developers to help with the testing. And those coaching skills are a big part of what modern testers have to um, have to uh, uh, master. So my journey was uh, from development to testing. And then when I got into testing, I was immediately, I was very young. I was in my early 20s when I started becoming public about testing. And I was arguing with a lot of old guys who disagreed with me about how to do testing, uh, who uh, I thought were being overly formal and too focused on test cases. So I argued with them and I fought with them and I did conferences, conference talks that, that disagreed with them. And, uh, you know, they didn't like me very much, but what I keep focusing on is what works. And I figure if I do something useful, and if I say things that are useful, then some people will listen. Many people don't listen, but some people listen and some people benefit. And that's what keeps me going. So uh, 95% of the testing world should be listening to me. And if they did, I would be rich and I would be working all the time and I'd have a big testing company with a whole bunch of people working for me. Instead, it's like 1% of the testing world listens to me. Very, very few people listen to me. Um, but that turns out to be enough to keep me uh, in business. Uh, I travel and I teach. and uh, uh, But another aspect of my journey is that there's an ebb and flow in the community of software testers. And people come and they go. So about 10 years ago, uh, I think there was a more vibrant testing community worldwide than there is now. Uh, a lot of my friends who were with me to push the idea of context-driven testing have moved out of it. Uh, I think they've gotten discouraged and uh, we don't uh, have as much uh, of a community now in the context-driven testing world as uh, as we had 10 years ago, but I haven't changed. I haven't moved on. I've simply gotten better and better and I'm deepening my work and anyone who wants to join me, I invite you to join me and I will help and coach anyone at no charge to help create a, a better worldwide intellectual, skillful software testing community. So I've had people from, uh, many people from India approach me. Now, now I, I'm happy to coach you, but I'm a demanding coach. I'm a demanding teacher. And there are people like Ajay who have uh, come to me and I've uh, helped Ajay and then Ajay became a leader uh, in his own right and a famous tester, and uh, he doesn't need my help anymore. He's, he's got his own thing, and I'm very proud of him. Uh, but at one time, I, I helped him a lot, and, uh, and now he's helping others. And there are a lot of other people that have come to me like that, like uh, Paramala, for instance, 
of Paramala Haraprasad came to me and I worked with her a lot. And now she's got her own thing that's completely independent of me. And again, I'm very proud of her. My, my job as I get older is to help create new leaders, new leaders that aren't my followers, but there are people that, that, uh, that do uh, good work in the field and they make their own decisions and they don't worry about what I think. Uh, I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, and so um, I think that's the biggest thing I want to say about my journey is that I've gone from being personally ambitious to try to make a name for myself. And then I made a name for myself. And now what I'm interested in doing really is helping other people make a name for themselves. That's what gives me pleasure. That's what gives me joy is when I see a student of mine become a leader, a student of mine be recognized for their uh, good work. And I love seeing students of mine go on and mentor other people. And I'm, when I do that, I'm paying back my teachers. And Jerry Weinberg, for instance, who was a, uh, uh, a great teacher of mine. I'm trying to carry on his work and honor his memory by doing what I'm doing. But while I'm doing that, another part of my journey is I'm making a lot of people angry. There are a lot of people on Twitter that don't like me. I'm not very popular in the agile world because I'm constantly criticizing how they think about testing. So, uh, my journey is complicated, <laughs> but what I'm going to be doing more and more of is doing online training. Uh, I do an online uh, software testing class, for instance, that is uh, based in the U.S. I teach it right from here, uh, and uh, I'm continuing to develop my rapid software testing methodology and sharing that with the world. So that's a little bit about my journey. Um, let me answer Mohammed's question here. Any application before going into production, rigorous testing will be done by the QA team. After QA sign-off, there will be business owner BA sign-off. If any bug identified in production, who is to be blamed on that? Only QA or even business owner or BA is accountable for that. Um, who is to be blamed for that? Well, I, I'm not sure what you're getting at with the question. <clears throat> Obviously, the people who created the bug are the people who it's fault they are, uh, the bug is. The, the bug is the fault of the people who created it. Uh, it's not, the, the testers didn't create the bug. The question for the testers is, did you do reasonable testing of the product? Were you able to do reasonable testing of the product? Were you allowed to do reasonable testing of the product? And these are all things that are important to look at. I can tell you that anytime I miss a bug, I take it very personally. I tell my clients that I can't be held responsible for not finding every bug, but I want to find every bug. And if, I, if there's any bug that I don't find, then I am going to find out why I didn't find it. And I'm going to see what I can do to improve. Meanwhile, it's not my fault that the bug is in there, but I still can improve my work and do better and better. That's what I suggest you tell people is you just say, 
look, don't put bugs in the product. If you don't put bugs in the product, then they're not going to get out of the field. However, I as a tester am constantly looking at every way that I can find these bugs before it's too late. So I will continue to work on that. That's what you tell them. All right. Let's, um, let me go to another question here. Boy, they've got lots of questions here. Uh, I'm up to 24 on my list. Okay. Preeti asks me, in most organizations, developers are paid more than testers. Here is not a here it's not a comparison, but is salary growth and testing field going to be a big concern? Well, it, yeah, I, I think uh, pretty what you need to do is you need to gain uh, lots of skills, lots of experience, and then you need to ask for what you're worth. And that's a, that career maintenance is, is up to you. Now, in America, it's a little different than in India, I suspect. In America, we change jobs more often than you guys do in India. Uh, I learned early on in Silicon Valley that the way to get a better salary is to quit and then go work for someone else, and then you'll get a salary bump. So I decided to take control of my career early on, and I negotiated for what I wanted. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, in 1995, I went to work for a company called ST Labs, and they hired me to be uh, in charge of their test methodology, and I asked for and I received a $10,000 every year budget just to buy books, and those books belonged to me at the end of my tenure. When, when I was done with ST Labs, I kept all my books. So they bought me books. I insisted that they buy me books because I said, you're hiring me to be an expert. In order to be an expert, I got to do a lot of reading. So I asked for what I wanted and I got it because they wanted me. And they wanted me because I made a name for myself because I was out there speaking and writing and showing what I could do. And then people wanted me. So I sell myself uh, in a similar way that someone who plays football sells himself. It's a, it's an open market and uh, I can ask for any price I want and they may pay it or they may not. So I try to ask for, uh, as uh, as much money as I think the market will, will bear. But see, I'm independent. And as an independent, I'm constantly negotiating these things. If you work for a corporation, you're stuck within the corporation. So my advice to you is uh, become independent, uh, which is a terrible, hard thing to do. <laughs> I can do it partly because I'm an American and it's part of our culture. But uh, another reason I can do it is because I have the support of my wife. And I understand that um, in India, you have big families and your parents may not want you to be independent. And that's a problem. 
They want you to be a part of a big organization and have that organization take care of you. And they want you to rise within that organization, which means you have to play by the rules. Well, I'm lucky enough to have a wife who supports my ambition. And year, many years ago, she encouraged me to quit my job and to start my own company, which I then gave to her. So given the fact that I work for my wife, I can do anything I want to do because she wants me to be happy. And so I go and uh, negotiate for what I, the money that I want to do the things that people want me to do. And often they say yes, and I get paid well. And often they say no, and I don't get paid at all. So salary is something that you're, however you figure it, you've got to take control of this. You have to be assertive. You have to prove your worth to get what you want. If you're going to be passive, then you're just going to get whatever they give you. And they're never going to give testers as much as developers because testers have not, as a society, as a community, uh, proven that they uh, are experts and that they are worth it. You've got to prove it. We, as a testing society, we have to prove our worth. And that means we need to be good at what we do. And I think, unfortunately, our community hasn't proven that we're good at what we do. Not yet. But look, um, work with Ajay, work with me, work with Paramala. Follow the, 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 the people who are setting an example for you. And uh, you, too, can become a well-known tester who is, uh, who is valued. Okay. Boy, we just got all these questions. They're going on and on. Um, uh, I don't know how long this can go. I, I'm happy going longer, uh, but we're probably going to crash the video software after a while here at Mahesh. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry if that happens, but I'm going to read the next question. Uh, Ankita says, uh, from the past two years, I'm working on BDD platform and X Xamarin. Yes, is how to pronounce that. But here in India, I'm not getting too much opportunities. Moreover, the learning material is very restricted. So what should I do? Switch to Selenium, Java, Python? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I generally suggest that you uh, learn the uh, languages that are popular. Uh, I suggest people learn Python, for instance. I don't know Python because I know Perl, and Perl's good enough, and I'm comfortable in it. And one of these days, I'll learn Python. Uh, I'll learn Python as soon as I'm hired by a company that needs me to know Python, and then I will learn Python. But uh, my, my preferred language is Perl. Uh, I'm also working on JavaScript recently. JavaScript is a good thing to know because so many of the things you test are going to be using JavaScript. So even if you don't write JavaScript, knowing about uh, JavaScript is, um, uh, is, is, uh, is helpful. You've got to keep your skills up. You've got to be learning every week something new. Uh, but I wonder 
whether you're talking about tools here, I wonder whether uh, you understand test strategy and analysis. Uh, I wonder how your writing skills are. And of course, your English skills too. I mean, this is something I don't think about a lot because English is my native language. But uh, a lot of people are being held back because they don't speak English well enough. And in this industry, you've got to be good at English, especially written English. Naraj asks, sometimes we are caught in a situation when the higher management fails to understand the importance of a quality team. As an individual tester or even a manager, we do not have many choices but to walk away or do as asked. What is your advice on handling such circumstances? No, I'm not a good guy to ask this because I always walk away. I, I either walk away or I just say, look, uh, I'm going to do a good job. You've hired me. You're paying me to do a good job. I'm going to do a good job. You don't want me to do a good job, then fire me and hire somebody else. But I am your testing expert. Listen to me and let me do my job. That's my attitude. I have designed my whole life so I can say that to people. I have designed my whole life so I can walk away if they don't let me do a good job. I don't want to work in a job where I'm being told to do stupid things by, by people who don't know what they're doing. So uh, that's my response. I, I would find it intolerable, absolutely impossible to work in a situation where I was not allowed to do good work. I can understand not being allowed to do my best work. I don't walk away when there's just something that's wrong. I walk away when it's, when not enough is right. When there's not enough good work being done or not enough opportunity for me to do good work or my work is being ruined by someone else, then I'm going to walk away from that situation. I'm going to say, I'm just not going to work here. But I've worked with a lot of Indian testers that do not want to quit their jobs no matter how much they are being abused. Um, it's very sad to see. Um, but, you know, it's a choice everyone has to make for himself. I am not sure if you have mentioned somewhere in your blog, but could you please tell us who, where are the influences in your professional career? Uh, my influences are Jerry Weinberg, all his writings and teachings, um, and Richard Feynman, the physicist, his writings and teachings, or at least his writings and teachings about the nature of, of scientific thinking. Um, Karl Popper, the philosopher, Socrates, David Hume, the philosopher from the 18th century, um, and uh, Kem Kaner, uh, who I worked with for about 15 years. Uh, he and I are not on speaking terms now. Uh, I, I don't know if he's still angry with me. Uh, but he got angry with me 10 years ago and uh, hasn't, hasn't let go <laughs> of his anger. So we no longer work together, but uh, I think he's a great man. And uh, I think his work has done uh, wonders for the industry. And I think he's retired now. I'm not sure, uh, but he's had a huge influence on me. And I think that I'm, 
uh, embodying uh, many of his values when I uh, when I do my work. So I'd urge you to look at the work of of uh, Kem Kaner. Uh, Michael Bolton, of course, is a huge influence on me. He's my my uh, coworker, uh, my business partner, and uh, the co uh, uh, creator of the newest rapid software testing stuff. I created rapid software testing a methodology years ago, and uh, then Michael came in as my student and became my peer uh, rather quickly. And now he shares ownership of the rapid software testing materials with me. He's done so much to improve them. Uh, I really wouldn't want to do uh, my work without Michael. And, you know, that's a lesson for you. If you're ambitious You've got to find some friends to work with. You are so much more powerful when you are working with friends than when you are all by yourself. So I have a whole bunch of friends and a few close friends that I work with who improve everything that I do. Priyanka asks, it is said that testers can become good product managers. As per your experience, what is your take on this? Well, um, my brother did that. Uh, uh, so I guess it can happen. Um, I don't have any special thoughts on that other than you should ask my brother, John, who works at eBay as a program manager. He was a tester for many years. I think he'd like to be a test manager now, but eBay doesn't uh, value that very much. So he's become a program manager and he could tell you all about that, but I'm not an, not an expert on that sort of thing. I just can say that um, I think my brother is very good at being a tester and being a, uh, a program manager. And that's similar to being a product manager. Shruti asks, what is the most demanding technology in software testing? Well, if you mean what is the most difficult thing to test, I would say uh, testing a cell phone is probably the most difficult thing to test. Um, other than that, uh, testing a machine learning system, which is uh, very difficult to test. So uh, I'm finally testing a compiler. Uh, boy, that's that can be very hard to test too. So uh, if that's what you meant, well, those are my answers. Sandeep asks, you deprecated ET saying testing is fundamentally exploratory. What were the observations, experiences, et cetera, that caused that thought? Um, and uh, can this happen with context-driven testing as well, where some uh, day you say that testing is fundamentally context-driven? Well, first of all, I've already said testing is fundamentally context-driven. I Context-driven testing, context-driven is not a, a type of testing. It's a paradigm of testing. It's a philosophy of testing. So I think all testing is that's any good is context-driven. If you're not context-driven, then I don't think you're doing good work. So I've already said that. Um, so, um, uh, my position is the context-driven testing is an entire paradigm of software testing, and it is my paradigm. 
It's my entire testing world. Now, exploratory is a little different because exploratory I had talked about as an approach to testing for many years until I realized that uh, there's so much exploratory nature to software testing that cannot be extracted from software testing that it was um, merely redundant to say the word exploratory. Um, I, I used to think that it was important to say exploratory because we were trying to raise awareness about the exploratory nature of testing, but I think we've already got the awareness. I think now we need to move into a new stage, and that's in a stage of of true craftsmanship. And so I, now I think the time has arrived where we should just recognize that all testing is exploratory. And uh, you could say that that's part of the context-driven paradigm. It's part of my worldview of testing. Uh, I, the, the, I don't think that the people who uh, uh, think that they can test without exploring, I don't think of them as testers. I think of them as frauds, frankly. I think of them as as people who are, are uh, doing something else, but they're not testing. Um, and this is the journey I've gone on to understand what testing means and to, to uh, develop my craft of testing to the highest level that I can and then to share that with other people. And this is where I've come to with that. Sandy also asks, what do you call a design patterns thinking? Uh, this is mentioned in your article. Is it design patterns came out of? I'm not sure I understand the question. Uh, there is something called design patterns that uh, is basically a set of uh, heuristics for thinking about uh, design. And uh, I, use, I just use the generic term heuristics for that. Uh, I prefer heuristics rather than patterns. And I think that, that we all need to understand how to use heuristics in our work. And the next question, what are your thoughts on the way estimations are asked in testing? Well, I do a tutorial on estimations. And I could say a lot about estimations, but nothing that would fit into this <laughs> into this situation. Hmm, not much that would fit into this situation. Um, there's a lot to say about estimation. I'll say one thing. I would say all estimations that are any good are based on visualizations. So the first step in estimating something is to be able to visualize it happening in your head if you can't visualize something happening, then I suspect you will not be able to do a decent estimation of it. So that's a clue for you about estimations. Okay, let's see what else we have here. We're getting toward the end here. Uh, what release cycles of few hours like Amazon claims to be releasing chunks of new code? How can we be ready for cycles of a few hours? 
Well, Srini, what this is doing is, and by the way, Srini Kulkarni is one of the Indian testing thinkers who is um, well known. So thanks for showing up, Srini. Um, uh, Srini, this is pushing us into testing in production. So-called live site testing or testing in production is what you have to do when people say, I'm going to give you only five minutes to test a complicated thing. Uh, basically, they're pushing the bugs out into the field, and then we have to find them out in the field before it's too late. Uh, that's one thing that, 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 that shorter and shorter cycles is doing. Now, the way they're trying to do release cycles of a few hours is they're trying to make the, they're trying to control risk by doing uh, development in a very incremental fashion and by doing careful review and by doing unit level uh, output checks. And that's useful to some degree. But there's a lot of testing that is deeper testing that cannot happen in that few hours. You just can't do it. So uh, that just means that we are forced to, to test in the field. So a, a smart company that is wanting to do this is going to have a team of people called live site testers. And, and eBay used to have a team of live site testers. I'm not sure if they do anymore. But my brother used to be in charge of the live site testing effort at eBay. And uh, the uh, live site testers are constantly monitoring the site, looking for any signs that there's any trouble, and then doing targeted testing to. Uh, reproduce any problems that seem to have been found by users and of course to try to find those before the users find them but uh, a lot of it is based on watching what the users are doing and trying to get to the bottom of it quickly so i'm asked if i can tell you more about the rapid software testing technique well it's not a technique it's a methodology rapid software testing is a mindset and a skill set it's a way of thinking about testing, and it's a set of things you know how to do. So for instance, part of the rapid software testing methodology is something I call the heuristic test strategy model, which you can find on my website. And it's a systematic way to think through test strategy. Uh, I use that model whenever I am testing. And the model lays out uh, many different elements that must be considered whenever uh, I am going to test uh, any given piece of, of technology. But at the core of rapid software testing is the ability to think critically, and that means the ability to analyze. So the skill of analysis is at the center of everything. Uh, you've got to be able to look at something and quickly size up what it is, what it isn't, where its risks might be, how it works, all that sort of thing. This is a skill. It's a skill that must be practiced. And it can be taught. It can be mentored. But it has to be practiced. You can't just wish that you have this skill. You've got to work at it. So rapid software testing is uh, very much a process by which uh, we go from uh, not being very clear about how to uh, size up a product and 
determine a test strategy for it to becoming clear on that. It's a process of learning how to do that. And I get people started with that in my classes, but that's just a few days. Then they have to practice and practice and practice to get better at this. So I've written a lot about this on my blog and I've done presentations about it that are on uh, YouTube. Uh, but it's, it's focused on humans. It's focused on thinking humans. It's focused on thinking humans who are using heuristics in order to systematically break down the testing problem. It's not founded on tools, but we use tools. It's not founded on documentation, but we use documentation. The center of it is people. Okay, Mahesh is asking a few more things here. We're almost at the bottom of the list. A lot, if not all Indian testers, as we all see here, are very negative towards constantly upskilling themselves, learning things, participating in the community. You really, you're negative? You're negative toward that? There are already alarms ringing with career risks, but a lot of people are just scared, but don't seem to do much of the work themselves. What would you tell them? Well, I would tell them that you reap what you sow. If you're ambitious, if you want to get ahead, if you want to build something of yourself, then you're going to have to invest in yourself. And you need family support to do this. Uh, you need the support of your, of your you know, wives or husbands, as the case may be. And, uh, and you need to study and you need to practice. And if you don't do that, if you wait till some company sends you to a class and otherwise you don't do that, well, you're not going to make much of yourself. So, I mean, it's a matter of personal ambition. And I don't think a lot of testers have a lot of personal ambition, but some do. And some of those people find their way to me and I help them. And if you find your way to me, then I'll help you. And if you work hard, I'll help you more. And I don't charge for this. The benefit I get from it is the practice that I get and the ability I get to brag about you later on in your career. So, you know, give it, give it a try. Hey, Skype me if you want to Skype me. My Skype is, is uh, ID is Satisfice, S-A-T-I-S-F-I-C-E. And, uh, uh, it may take you a few attempts to get me into a position where I have time to talk to you, but you know, Pradeep Sandararajan once approached me 20 times before I had time to talk to him. He approached me 20 times. And then you know, later on, he went to start his own testing company. And you know that's a tester who has a lot of ambition. And uh, he commanded my attention and I gave him more and more help over time because he was so insistent on it. And uh, there's a tester, some little girl tester at some company somewhere. I don't know where she is, but she's been, she's been Skyping me for I think three years and she Skypes me with all kinds of tiny little questions. She Skyped me just this morning with a tiny little question. 
It's as if she thinks I'm her manager. And the questions she's asking me are so small, most of them. Some of them are big, but most of them are really small questions. But she, she just keeps asking me these questions. And, and I answer her. And I've over time, I've gotten some affection for her and, and, and uh, respect for the way she keeps coming at me. But uh, sometimes I'm surprised at, at, at all the many, many things that she asks me and the, um, and, and the difficulty that she has in her work because she has a terrible boss. She, the, her company is horrible. I've told her to quit many times, but she refuses to quit. Um, and I'm just amazed that, that she just keeps coming back to me and asking me for, for help uh, on small issues as well as large issues. Uh, and I'm a little surprised that more people don't do that, but you know, some people do. Uh, so I don't know why uh, uh, most people uh, are not more ambitious about uh, being uh, good at their work, but I don't think about them. I just think about the people who are ambitious, who want to do their best, who want to be their best, and I want to help those people. If there's one thing you want the Test Tribe community to do a lot, what would that be? I would like you to read uh, books about epistemology. That's what I would like you to do. <laughs> read epistemology. Read about neuroscience. Uh, read about cognitive biases. Read about critical thinking. I'd like you to read more. And I'd like you to talk about what you've read. And I'd like you to recommend books to me to read. Uh, I would recommend, for instance, that uh, if you're interested in artificial intelligence, that you read a new book that's just come out called Artificial Intelligence. Of course, it's backwards in my monitor, but maybe you see it differently. Artificial Intelligence by Harry Collins. It just came out, and uh, I'm in the course of reading this right now. Um, it says, oh, Mahesh says, question was for community to do. As the Test Tribe community, what's the thing you want us to do a lot? Uh, well, I'm not sure how that changes my answer. I think your community should read more books. But um, maybe what you mean is um, uh, what kind of uh, of I'm not sure what you're talking about. Are you talking about like, should you put on a conference or something? Uh, how about that? Put on a conference, put on a peer conference where you invite each other to a room and there's uh, 20 or 30 of you in there and you share experiences and uh, experience reports with each other. Uh, I think peer conferences are the, the um, uh, fastest way um, and the most intense way to build community and make a community strong is through having peer conferences. So I can tell you more about that uh, privately, I guess, if you want to know how to do a peer conference. 
Uh, also, I'd, let's say one other thing. I think that the Test Tribe community can uh, systematically help each other. Maybe the Test Tribe community can create a mentoring program where more senior testers are mentoring less senior testers. And I'll tell you this, I would be happy to help you train your mentors. So Test Tribe, you know, maybe pick three people who are you decide are your your leaders of the test tribe and then and then I can work with them to uh create some sort of systematic mentoring so it's not just all me doing it but uh but I can get some help i I'd like to see the test tribe create that kind of of system and then Trini asks, what is your advice to testers who uh, deal with the sweeping wave of machine learning and AI. Well, I answered this early on, Srini. Um, so you probably weren't here at the very beginning. So if you're going to have to go back and listen to my recording, because I did a whole rant on artificial intelligence, I will. Uh, I'll simply add this: the biggest problem I have with artificial intelligence is that it is irresponsible. Uh, I think AI stands for automated irresponsibility. That's, I think that is, is something you could genuinely say is what AI means. It is automated irresponsibility. And when we put AI in charge of things that control humans, it is a bad thing for society. Uh, as testers, we need to be very skeptical of these systems. So anyone who's working with any kind of AI thing, test hard and test deep. That's all I can tell you. Okay, let's see if I've left anything out from the group chat, and then we will be done with all the questions. Let's see. Uh, should testing team be equivalent to the development team? Um, I don't know what you mean by equivalent. I would say that we are certainly equivalent in terms of uh, being uh, respectable if we have earned our respect and we have uh, worked on our expertise. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Could you please list down names of Indian people who are very famous in testing. Well, I, I gave you some names, um, the ones that, that um, I could think of off the top of my head. There's uh, Donna Shankar, uh, Subramanian, is that his name? I, I'm, I might be getting this a little bit. DS is what he goes by. <laughs> uh, so it's Donna Shankar. He's at uh, uh, Mulia, I believe. Uh, Pradeep Samnarajan, uh, uh, Pramila Haraprasad, uh, Ajay uh, Balamuragaras, uh, Lalit uh, Kumar Bamare, I think his name is. Uh, he helps me out a lot on my uh, classes. Uh, Santosh Tuppet, who uh, used to run a company called Test Insane. Uh, 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 Mita Prakash, uh, Smita Mitra. 
Well, I can't remember. I, I can't believe I'm remembering so many names. Uh, uh, those are those are the names. The, those are the names that are the most prominent coming to my mind right now. Um, and I don't know if Sandeep uh, uh, Garg is uh, writing or publishing anything, but he cut a wonderful figure in my class. So I'm going to name him as well. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, the name of my brother is Jonathan Bach. John Bach. And you can contact him at uh, jbtestpilot at hotmail.com. Okay. Do, 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 do. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Sandeep said, I approached you as well on Skype when I was totally confused about test strategy. Thanks for responding immediately. Okay, Sandeep. Um, okay, Srini says, there's more to your questions, more to the questions. So what question are you talking about there? Is it the AI question? What can we exploit from this as testers? How can a tester be helped by machine learning searchable database of tests? Oh, can testers be helped by machine learning searchable? I don't know how machine learning is going to help us with a database of testing ideas because, uh, I, I mean, you'd have to explain that. Uh, you'd have to explain that to me, uh, Srini, what exactly your idea is. Um, because I'm, 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 I'm not getting it. Uh, it, it someone is going to have to write up a list of testing ideas. And then if you had that list of testing ideas, then you would have to navigate it yourself. How can a machine tell you what testing idea you would need and, and how would it, what, what kind of input would you give it? Would you just give it a specification and then it would, somehow tell you test ideas i the amount of effort it would take to develop such a system was would be ridiculous it'd be a huge amount of effort and then all you would get at the end is something that you could learn yourself in a few minutes you need to understand the testing ideas if you understand the testing ideas then you know how to apply them if you don't understand the testing ideas, then you shouldn't apply them. And I worry that a machine learning system that has a searchable database of test ideas that it somehow gives you when you tell it a problem, like some sort of chat bot where you say, I have to test a telecommunication system and then the chat bot somehow tells you test strategy ideas. What I'm worried about with that is it just encourages people to not understand the testing ideas. Um, that's what I'm worried about. So uh, if you want to propose a specific testing bot that you can talk to about uh, testing, uh, go ahead and propose it. However, I... Uh, nothing I'm able to imagine at this moment uh, 
looks to me like it is would be a responsible uh uh good tool that's my feeling well i think i've gone through all the questions that i have here um it, and uh, my uh, Skype ID is satisfies as I have put into the into the chat. And I, if I've missed something, I'm sorry. I think I've I think I, I have it all though. So, is there any final uh, thought? Okay, Mahesh is asking: Any books or resources can you suggest for learning analysis? Yes, the. Number one book is Jerry Weinberg's book, Introduction to General Systems Thinking. This is not an easy book to read. You have to have a lot of discipline to read it. I suggest that you read it a few pages at a time. Don't try to read it all the way through. Uh, that was the book that I would say more than any other book taught me analysis. That's my suggestion. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, guys. Uh, so this has been, uh, oh, like two hours. Uh, I enjoyed myself uh, once again. Thank you very much for inviting me. And I look forward to hearing more about what the Test Tribe is doing, is doing, is doing, is doing 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 is doing